anyone excited about heaven this evening? Anyone know you've come a mighty long ways with some beautiful day? Jesus is coming back for his church. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Goodine, for leading us in worship. Amen. You may be seated this evening. Amen. Such a beautiful presence of the Lord that is here, and I am so thankful for that. Amen. God is just so good. Amen. Amen. He brought us such a mighty long ways. There is no one like our God, and we are so thankful for him this evening. Amen. Amen. I am, uh, I am honored this evening. Uh, as many of you know, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I and my children uh, ventured to the island of Newfoundland uh, to go and be with Brother and Sister McGuire and uh, be with them and experience Cornerbrook and uh, help them in uh, as many ways as we could while we were there. And so I wanted to just take a couple minutes uh, to kind of present what took place there, uh, and then we'll look to the word of the Lord in just a moment. So uh, as you can see, um, we flew out of Fredericton a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night at around 6.30, and thanks to Brother Trudeau, uh, Navy was the only one that didn't have to wear a mask. And so, yes, pray for, pray for Trudeau. Uh, Cornerbrook is a beautiful city, it really is. We got there, and of course, when we, when we flew in, uh, it was very dark, and so they drove us there from Deer Lake, where the airport is, uh, to Cornerbrook, and uh, couldn't see a lot there when, that first evening when we were driving back, but the next morning we went out around Cornerbrook and looked at the city, uh, and of course, this is Brother and Sister McGuire. Uh, you can see the city there behind them. They love, they love that, that city, uh, their city, if I can say it that way, or God's city. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but their city that they're called to reach. Uh, they love that city and that people. Um, they love them so very much, and they just get so excited when they are talking about what God is doing in hearts and lives of people there in Cornerbrook. It truly is an amazing city. Um, they mentioned this to us when we were first driving to Cornerbrook and then also uh, the next morning. And I mentioned it a couple uh, weeks ago how Cornerbrook is kind of shaped like a bowl, uh, except for this one side that you can see on the left. It's just mountains uh, on every side. And the whole island, I, well, I say the whole island, but everywhere that we were, is just totally, totally picturesque. Um, just so, so beautiful in every way. Uh, God's, God's handiwork, uh, really just a masterpiece uh, in everything that he did there, and just absolutely beautiful. Uh, this is just some pictures that my wife took of the city. It truly is uh, a beautiful city. It used They have a mill there, um, and so uh, back in the day, so to speak, it was kind of a mill town. Um, and it's not really as much now, um, but the mill is still there and still uh, employing people. Uh, this is the Cornerbrook sign, which is right downtown. Um, just a beautiful, beautiful city and everything that's a part of it. And then if you want to move on to the next one, this is Asher and I. Uh, we went on a walk through uh, kind of a nature trail type deal that they took us to. And as I said before, 
uh, just waterfalls and streams and trees and mountains all over the place. Uh, just kind of takes your breath away every turn that you take. And it was just an amazing experience. This is Brother McGuire and Asher. He took us out fishing one night as my wife and sister McGuire taught a Bible study. And uh, by the end of the week, uh, you'll see a couple pictures like this. They were Nana and Papa McGuire. Uh, and they just are so special to us. You can see the mountains there uh, in the back. It truly was uh, an amazing place to see. And, and there's Nana McGuire. <laughs> and this right here is a visual representation of what it's like to be a home missionary, of trying to balance a full-time job and building a church and all those different things. And so please keep them in your prayers. Uh, this is the United Church that they rent. Um, they're in a renting scenario, which is actually a very positive and very good scenario for them. Um, they treat them very well, uh, and so we're very thankful for that. Uh, if you want to just keep going there, Sister Melody. Uh, just some pictures that my wife took of what they have there. So obviously they don't have a church sign since they rent, and so have kind of a temporary one there. This is Nathan, a little boy that is in their Sunday school, and it was his birthday the Sunday we were, we were there. And so Brother McGuire raided uh, the Dollarama, and he got, he got a toy, and it's just, the way they love those people is just so incredible uh, to see. Um, they, they don't have a musician, and so they have found kind of like an app, or it is an app, but it's an app that it helps her, it allows Sister McGuire to put the words on the screen, um, but also kind of control the music all at the same time. And it's a huge benefit to them uh, since she kind of is the music in herself. Uh, and so God is really moving through that. There's also the, uh, I wouldn't say the issue, but just kind of that, that deal of their, their, their people don't really know a lot of the songs that we typically sing. And so you're, you're a little bit limited in what you can do there. I uh, had a wonderful service the Sunday that we were there. Uh, God had laid it on my heart a couple months before we went to preach on Zacchaeus and preached on when you can't get to Jesus, Jesus comes to you. And uh, they told me afterwards that Brother, Brother McGuire uh, obviously is just kind, of, um, just kind of teaching and just kind of, um, they, they kind of described it as baby food. And so they just kind of told me to just preach and just um, try and connect with them and so tried to do that. And had a wonderful, um, their, their people had been exposed to uh, altar calls the week before at their camp meeting. And so uh, we did one, or tried to do one there that Sunday. And uh, God's presence was there in a mighty way. This is something that we just found so neat when we were there that they told us that uh, a little while after they had first went, they uh, were trying to do a video and they went around Cornerbrook and estimated how many lamp posts there were. And so there was 900, they roughly estimated there was 900 lamp posts. And so they kind of have this idea that each one represents 22 souls in Cornerbrook for the population of 20,000 people. And so when they see those lamp posts, it kind of sticks out to them. It truly was an amazing uh, experience. I want to say thank you to Brother and Sister Farrell and also this church. Uh, and, and kind of, I don't mean this negatively whatsoever, but uh, thank you to the Waterville uh, Church and in helping that to happen. 
and it truly was a life-changing experience. Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Yes. Sure, absolutely. Let's, can we stand tonight? Amen. And I know that um, Brother and Sister McGuire uh, told us that they are watching this evening. And uh, I know I showed that video as kind of a, a humorous little note in the middle of that presentation. Uh, but they truly do need our prayers. Um, there is, there is, there is, uh, there's ups and downs, I guess that's kind of the best way to put it, in planting a church. Um, and, and that's just the reality of it. Sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world, <laughs> and sometimes you feel like the world's on top of you. But they are doing something absolutely tr incredible there in Cornerbrook. And uh, it's just so exciting. And so let's join together right now, church, and let's pray for Brother and Sister McGuire and also for that area of Cornerbrook. Lord, we love you tonight. God, we lift up Brother and Sister McGuire right now. God, as they sit there in their home watching our live stream, Lord, I pray that your presence would just wrap around them right now. God, I pray that you would just flood their living room, Lord Jesus. Let them feel you so close, Lord God. Lord, what they are doing for you is absolutely incredible, Lord God. Giving their lives and, and just giving everything to you in the work of the Lord, Lord Jesus. God, we pray for that area. God, that you would just flood that place of Cornerbrook, Newfoundland with your presence and with your spirit. God, that you would just give people dreams, Lord Jesus. That you would speak to hearts and draw people. People, God, that you would just pour out your spirit as you said you would do upon all flesh, Lord God. Lord, we are so close to your returning, and Lord, we need a mighty outpouring, Lord God, a mighty downpour of your spirit upon our hearts and our lives, Lord Jesus, but not just us, but Lord, the people around us, Lord God, that don't know of you and don't know of what you did for them on Calvary's Hill, Lord Jesus. God, there are so many of all around us that need to know you. Hallelujah. God, I speak a peace over that city right now. Lord, I speak your peace. I speak your deliverance, Lord Jesus. I speak freedom in the name of Jesus from ideologies that are not of you, from addictions, Lord God, from everything that is not of you. I speak peace and freedom in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Can we just pray for one more second? There's just... I believe that God can send angels right now over that city to begin to just break and bind some things, Lord God. Hallelujah. God, let your mighty, powerful will just be accomplished right now in the name of Jesus. That's it, church. We may be here in Perth and over New Brunswick. 
but we can perform spiritual warfare right now over the city of Cornerbrook, Newfoundland. Hallelujah. And the Maguires can begin to see people just become come and connect with them and they can connect them to Jesus Christ who can break the bonds of addiction and break the bonds of depression and break the bonds of anxiety. Lord Jesus, God, you can do anything tonight. You can do anything, Jesus. You can do anything. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for praying. Amen. Amen. There is a, a powerful spirit of the Lord that just swept into this place. Hallelujah. As you, as you precious saints begin to pray, there is just such a hush. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Just lift up their arms, I pray, Lord God. God, they're working so hard for you, Lord Jesus, and for your kingdom, Lord God. Just bless them right now, I pray, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Brother, Brother Farrell. That was uh, so appropriate. Amen. Luke chapter 10, and verse number 25. And please do continue. I mean that with all my heart. Please do continue to pray uh, for Brother and Sister McGuire. And I know they appreciate your prayers. They, they told us that. Um. And I will, I will say this, Brother McGuire told me, uh, Brother Kenny calls him every week and just kind of doesn't talk long, but just kind of checks in with him. And he told me how much that means to him. And, and I know I mentioned it to you privately, but just wanted to say publicly as well, uh, your prayers and your encouragement and just anything you can do uh, for them, but also home missionaries and, of course, foreign missionaries. If you have that opportunity, it just means so much to them when you lift them up in prayer, but also if you can have the opportunity to lift them up with your words as well. It means so much to them and is such an encouragement. Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25 reads and says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And since we came home from Newfoundland, the Lord has been dealing with my heart, and I want to preface everything I am about to say, with saying this, that I am so far from being anywhere close to what I am about to try and present to you about the need of people 
just helping people to know Jesus. But God is dealing with my heart. And sometimes that's where the best sermons come from. And so I'm just going to do my best to speak to you from this title. Neighbors here, neighbors there, there are neighbors everywhere. And I wonder if we could pray right now. Lord, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, for this holy, sacred time that we have here. God, we have worshipped you. We have praised you, Lord Jesus. And now we stand here in this holy moment, Lord God, of your word going forth. And I pray, Lord, that you would just right now prepare our hearts, Lord Jesus. Help us to prepare our hearts that it would be good ground for your word to fall upon, Lord Jesus. God, we are so thankful and we are rejoicing, Lord Jesus. God, for all that you are doing in Corner Brook, Newfoundland, we are praying, we are fasting, we are seeking after, Lord, for you to pour out your spirit in a mighty, miraculous, supernatural way, Lord. Lord God, but help us also to recognize, Lord Jesus, the harvest that is here, Lord Jesus, what you are doing here, what you are wanting to do here in Perth and over New Brunswick, Lord God. Touch our hearts, prick our hearts, Lord God, whatever your will is and whatever you desire to do over the next few moments, we pray only this, let your will be done and let thy kingdom come, Lord Jesus. And God, for all that you are going to do, we give you all the praise and all of the glory, for you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We, uh, we just read the story of a, the Bible says, a certain, certain lawyer that came and spoke to Jesus and asked him the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers him and, uh, and, and asks him, how do you read the law? How do you interpret it, basically, is what Jesus says. And, and he says that uh, you have to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all your soul and all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. But then after he asks the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus goes into this parable, and he tells a story of a certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who both stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance, a certain priest was going down that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he traveled, came where he was, and when he saw him, he was moved with compassion and came to him and bound up his wounds, pouring uh, oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him. Whatever you spend beyond that, I will repay you when I return. Now, which of these three do you think seemed to be a neighbor to him who fell among the robbers? And he said, he who showed mercy on him, and then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Jesus told this whole story, trying to illustrate to this young, young lawyer, pardon me, and all, all else who were within earshot, what it is to be a neighbor. Now, when we here in 2022 think of this word neighbor,
uh, we think of either two things. Number one, we think of the person that lives either on the left or on the right of us. <laughs> either that or we think of the person in church who's sitting to the left or the right of us. <laughs> one of those two things. But when you kind of boil it down and you look at, uh, as I was studying through this, Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament said that neighbor is really just, it means near or near to. Whoever is near is my neighbor. In fact, this word translates in the Greek to a word that is plesion. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but basically it refers to a fellow man or any other member of the human family. Uh, the expository dictionary of Bible words said it this way. It says the story extends rather, uh, extends rather than narrows the concept of neighbor. In the story, the injured man was a Jew, someone traditionally hostile to Samaritans. There was no bond of personal relationship between the two. They were simply two human beings, one in need and the other able to meet the need. Jesus' message was clear for those who heard him then, and it is clear for us today. Our neighbor is any person we may come in contact with who has a need. Hmm. And to love one's neighbor means to be moved by compassion to reach out and to seek to meet that need. I bring all this up simply for this reason, because I worry that because of this story in Luke chapter 10 and its parallels, we narrow our neighbor down to those who only live on the other side of the street or those who live to our left or to our right. And yet, even then, do we love them as we love ourselves? And so when looking at this story and also coming back from Newfoundland and this home missions experience that we were so privileged to be a part of, I came back and, and began reflecting and began asking myself this question. And so this evening I'm kind of just preaching my, to myself and allowing you to listen in. But I began to ask myself the question, why am I not trying to reach people here? That's not a question that preachers are supposed to have to ask themselves. And so I came up with three reasons that I would like to quickly present to you. So point number one. The first reason I believe that we, or I, I should be saying are not reaching out to people the way that I'm supposed to be, is this. We're afraid to get messy. We were there with Brother and Sister McGuire, and they were telling us after going and teaching one Bible study, he came home, and he had to Febreze his iPad, and he had to take his clothes right off and put them there by the washer because they all smelled like smoke. And he had to Febreze his bag, and then he had to Febreze this and that and wash this and do all this stuff. Why? Because people are messy. We were driving one day and I got talking to him. We were just talking back and forth and I said, it's just so amazing how, what you're doing here that they, they essentially have four people that are coming consistently and then about six or seven other, other contacts. And I just said, 
I said, it's so amazing how each person has their own unique situation, and each person is at a different level spiritually, and each level, and you have to deal with each person differently because each one is just messy. <laughs> There's not really any better way to put it. And in order to really help them, and in, really, in order to really connect them to Jesus the way they're supposed to be, you have to get right down into their that all right? It's just the reality of it. And so you look at the Bible, and I began to look at this and realize that in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 9, it tells us as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him, and now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Another translation said it this way. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> and when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What I, what I want to highlight from this passage of Scripture is this. Number one is that as I read this, it just kind of stuck out to me so blatantly is that, is that what religious people called scum is what I used to be. And that's a scary thought. Because there is such a, a fine line because, between religious and actually being supernatural and spirit-led and being who God wants us to be. And I do not want to cross the line as the Pharisees so much were and the Sadducees that they were constantly over that line of just being religious and thinking it was all about them and, and how well they could follow the law. No, it's about Jesus. It's about connecting people to Jesus and selling them. This is where I found bread. This is where I found eternal life. You've got to come and meet Jesus. The second reason that I saw, the second thing that I saw in this passage of scripture is this, and I'm hastening along. What religious people called scum is why Jesus came. When Jesus should have been doing so many other things, time after time after time after time after time after time after time, what was he doing? He was eating with sinners and publicans and all these people that, le that, that left everyone else shaking their head and saying, what in the world are you doing? And yet he looked at them and he said, this is the whole reason why I'm here and you're not understanding it because you're so fixated on just trying to follow the law as best as you can and you don't realize that I didn't just come, just to come and just puff you up and make you feel good and say you're following the law so well when you don't even realize that it's not about your sacrifices and what you do. It's about mercy. It's about telling people that God is merciful, that God loves them, that God is so in love with them. 
Amen. I must hasten along. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he connected people with he connected with people. And by doing so, he connected them to the kingdom of God. He got right down in their messy lives with them and showed them a better way. And before he ascended into heaven, he instructed us to do the same. In Matthew 28, 28 and 18, it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Another translation says it this way, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. Another translation says it this way, therefore as you go, disciple people. Just as you go. As you walk into Tim Hortons, as you walk into your job, as you go, disciple people. This, this is not me. This is not, I went over and had this incredible home missions experience. No, this is me seeing what this incredible couple is doing and coming home and saying, why am I not doing this? And then looking at, at Jesus and how he lived his life and realizing this is what Jesus wanted me to do. This is how Jesus lived his life as an example of how when he ascended back up into heaven and 2,000 years later, he wanted me to live my life. That when I say that I'm a Christian and really want to actually follow up on what I'm saying that I am, I really am trying to do that by teaching people and showing people that Jesus came and died for them, Jesus came and bled for them, Jesus gave everything for them, getting right down into their mess to try and show them there is a way. And I worry that the reason we are afraid to get involved in people's lives and connect them, connect with them so we can connect them to Jesus is because we are scared to get messy. You see, in Matthew 11 and 19, Jesus said this. He said, The Son of Man feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sin sinners. But then Jesus said something that is so powerful, if we can catch it. He said, But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. And you see, maybe it's just me, but we sit back and we say, well, if, if I really connect with that person, if I really make a relationship with them to try and connect them with Jesus, what if they dragged me down instead of me pulling them up? Maybe that's too real. But I think that's where we're, a lot, we're at a lot of times. That we get scared. And we forget that if Jesus is living inside of us... <laughs> Is that okay? You see, I really think that there's a reason. You see, in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 52, it tells us Jesus grew both in body and in wisdom, gaining favor with God and people. 
And so you have to catch this, that, that Jesus drew in wisdom. And so he had, Jesus had, had, had wisdom. But also you need to recognize that Jesus fasted and prayed before he ever started his ministry. He fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I, I, I want to present this. I don't, have, I don't have scripture really to back it up except to say that, the, that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. And so I, I don't really believe that he fasted and prayed so much to try and get power. It was that he realized if I really want to bring kingdom concepts to these messy people, I've got to fast and I've got to pray. And so the same has to be with me. If I want to bring kingdom concepts to these messy people, I have to have wisdom and I have to fast and I have to pray so that I can connect to God and then connect people to God the way that God wants me to do. I just blew my own mind. It was a very small explosion. You probably didn't see it. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 32 tells us, If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do, do good only to those who good, do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. That, that's just the Bible. I need to move on. Well, second thing that I would like to say, and I'm, I'm hastening along, I promise, but the second thing I want to say is this. I, I, I believe that I've found and recognized in my own life that the second reason why we don't try to reach people and connect them to God is that we are afraid we won't know what to say. I, I, went, I went and taught a Bible study with Brother McGuire to a guy, and, and I told him after, I said, what a roller coaster. One minute you think you're, you're breaking through and having this amazing breakthrough, and the next minute you feel like, you're be- feel like beating your head off the table. It's just, just up and down. But there was one moment that he looked at us, and he said, when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, and, and he began to talk to his father, what was he saying there? And Brother McGuire looked at me and said, Anson, why don't you answer that? <laughs> And so with my three years of Bible school, <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> and, and, and it was, it was awesome. We got out to the car, and he, and he, said, he, he said, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot. I said, man, I, I am so thankful that you did. I should be able to answer something like that. I believe that we're just so scared that we won't know what to say, that it just binds us up. <laughs> when if we just got this in us. And the other thing is this, in 1 Timothy 1 and 15, and I'm hastening along, I promise, but uh, Paul said this, he said, as this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Now you've got to remember, Paul, this guy that he wrote half of our New Testament and we think so highly of and rightfully so, but at first he was someone who killed Christians and was a murderer. And so that's what he's saying here, I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime 
example of what his great patience with even the worst sinners should be, then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. If you want anything to highlight in your Bible, it's this, that Paul is saying, if you want something to tell people about, just tell them your testimony, that I was a sinner, I was stuck in the muck and the mire of sin, and then Jesus came, and then Jesus, he pulled me out, and he put my feet on the rock to stay. And then you sit back and you realize, why am I so bound up? Why am I so scared? Why? I've got this amazing story that God's brought me so far. Why am I not telling someone about all that God has done for me? We were there and we, we, did, a, we did a Bible study over Zoom with brother, with brother and Sister McGuire with this family that, that they're just kind of starting to come in. And we did a, my, uh, my wife and Sister McGuire did a Bible study with a lady. And when I got home with Brother McGuire and Sister McGuire's like, your wife is an amazing Bible study teacher. And I was like, well, I knew she was amazing, but that's awesome, wonderful. They, it, it, just, just such an incredible environment to be in that Sister McGuire had this sore on her finger and they went to the doctor and he came in and he said, what church are you pastor of? And they talked to him for like 25, 30 minutes just about their church and what they're doing. And we got there at the house and they began to talk to us about what had happened. You would have thought that it was Christmas morning. <laughs> Is that, that's another contact. They're going to meet Jesus. And the third reason is this, and I am done. Sister Farrell, if you could come. I'm almost done. (laughs) Uh, The last reason I would say is this, and this is me. This is me. We just don't see people the way Jesus does. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 38, it tells us Jesus went to every town and village he taught in their meeting places and preached the good news about God's kingdom. And Jesus also healed every kind of disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he felt sorry for them. They were confused and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, a large crop is in the fields, but there are only a few workers. When Jesus looks at people, he sees sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at that crowd, and where we would just see people, he saw a crop with no one to harvest it. In another story found in Mark chapter 6, and I promise I'm almost done, I promise. It tells us Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. And he had this story. I was reading it this afternoon and it just gripped my heart that Jesus, he gets with his disciples and they're trying, he says, let's go and depart and just rest and just have some time to ourselves. And it tells us when Jesus and his disciples took a boat and went and tried to do that, that the people just wanted to be with Jesus so badly that they literally ran and they got there before they even did because they wanted to be with Jesus so bad. And when Jesus steps off the boat, he sees those people he sees the huge crowd that's standing there waiting for them and it says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began teaching them many things Jesus' solution to the crowd being like sheep without a shepherd was to get down to where they were at the end of everything and teach them a better way 
D.L. Moody said this, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he or she found bread. I heard this said one time, I can't remember who it was, but I've never forgotten, the, forgotten it. The only difference between me and someone in the world is I was just blessed enough to get here first, and now I have to tell, help them get here. I noticed this this week, and I promise I am, I am so close to done. I promise. I'm sorry. We know the story of the Good Samaritan. But it occurred to me this week that I worry that we forget the reason that Jesus told this story. You see, when you read it in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 25, it tells us an expert in the law, Moses, stood up and asked Jesus a question to see what he would say. He said, teacher, what must I do to have eternal life? We forget. That's what he was asking. He was saying, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus' answer was this, what is written in the scriptures? How do I understand them? How do you understand them? And the man replied, the scriptures say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. They also say, love your neighbors as much as you love, them, love yourself. And Jesus said, you have given the right answer. If you do this, you will have eternal life. So I read this. And when I realized that Jesus' answer and him telling this story was all about this guy posing the question, how do I get eternal life? It makes me wonder, do I love my neighbor? I mean, we've, we've, we've got the... We, we've got the loving our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind down. We know how to do that. But do I love my neighbor? I'm done with this. When we were in Corner Brook, the first day we were there, they took us around and then they took us to the mall and I, I was sitting there and I was just kind of watching people. And I realized there in that moment, I was, as I was watching people at the mall and just trying to watch around and doing their thing, I realized that I had kind of come with this expectancy of having this amazing home missions experience of just getting there and being like, these people need Jesus so bad. And in that moment, I felt Jesus speak to me and say, people are everywhere. You just got to see him like I do. The people in Cornerbrook are the exact same as the people here. Lost. Sheep without a shepherd. We established earlier that the biblical definition of neighbor, if we just stand this evening, we established earlier that the biblical definition of neighbor is broader than our natural definition. And so we must recognize and live by the biblical definition, but our natural definition is still a good place to start. And so I came home, and, and given that Labor Day was just the weekend after, I went around to my street, to my my neighbors in our, in our definition, and I, I passed out invitations to Labor Day, and in doing that, I met, I met three people. I met Phil, I met Faye, and I met Warren. And I was walking with my, my wife this morning, and I just said, I can't believe that we've lived on this street for four years, and I just met Phil two weeks ago. And in just that 10-minute conversation, Phil went from this guy that works on his truck every weekend to Phil. 
and it just took a conversation. A couple months ago, my wife and kids were coming home from Bible study one night, and they get out of the vehicle, and my neighbor across the street was there, and Asher looked across the street, and he said, hey, mom, I think that lady goes to church, goes to our church, and Lisa's like, no, no, he doesn't, buddy, and Asher just hollers over so innocently, and he says, hey, do you go to my church? And she looks back at him and says, not yet. And I hope somewhere in the back of each and every one of their minds that they just have there yet have that there. I may not be there yet, but I'm going to be there someday. Because there's a young couple sitting there at 62 McLaughlin Street that's praying and that's reaching and that's doing their best and that's going to do their best to connect us to a God that died for them and bled for them so that they could go to heaven someday. My hope and my prayer this evening is this, is that someday someone walks out of this do- that, those doors, starts up the car, drives home, and when you hit, hit the start of your street, you slow down that car and you sit there and you just say, this is my mission field, and just begin to slowly drive by and say, they're coming to church, and 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 it's not going to be just God working on their hearts, but I'm realizing this is my my responsibility, that I'm going to get down in the mess, and I'm going to get down where Jesus did, and I'm going to lift them up to a Savior that can bring them to where He wants them to be. I finished with this, I promise. I am so sorry. But as we came home, we drove home, we got home about 4.30 in Fredericton, and and the kids did awesome flying, but they were tired, of course. And my wife wanted Starbucks, and Asher wanted pizza, and Daddy wanted pizza. And Navy just wanted to sleep, and her big brother to leave her alone. And so we got in the car, and we got into Fredericton, and of course we got pizza because, well, that's what Daddy wanted. And so eventually we got on the highway and, and driving home, and we just had this amazing home missions experience. But uh, being the wonderful married couple that we are, some people might have called it arguing. Some people might have called it fighting. We just called it passionate discussion. And so we're driving home. We're getting there. And we finally get home. And my wife's unpacking and doing all these things. And she looked at me and she said, well, I guess we're just home and we're just back to our regular lives. And of course, this isn't the context in which she was saying that. But those words have stuck with me ever since. That how many times have I been in an altar where a woman or a man of God has preached and I, my heart has been convicted? Just like me coming home from Newfoundland and, I, and coming and saying, I'm so convicted, I've got to do something. And get home, be at an altar, and God deals with my heart, and God convicts my heart, and go home and get back there. And after that conviction is there, and that altar, go home and be there. And after we're there, say, well, I guess we're home, and we didn't just go back to our regular lives. I can't go back to my regular life. That's not what Jesus told me to do. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. And the only way it happens is by getting down in the mess, knowing what to say, 
haven't seen people like Jesus did. If we could bow our heads, I'm going to begin to pray. And as I pray, I want to invite you to come to this altar. Lord, I love you tonight. God, I thank you for your word that has gone forth into this place. God, I thank you that you are working and you are dealing with hearts right now. Lord, I pray that you would just do a supernatural work in this place. God, Perth Andover needs. Ha! Perth Andover needs Calvary Tabernacle. Perth Andover needs each and every one of us, Lord Jesus. Carlingford, Four Falls, God, Grand Falls, Lord Jesus, Centerville, Heartland, Lord Jesus, all these places, they're my neighbors. It's not just the person that lives on my right or on my left, but God, they're my neighbors. I've got to get down in the mess. I've got to get down to where they're at so I can lift them up to a God that loves them, so I can show them. Jesus died for them and bled for them. It's not just my neighbor, there's a name. It's not just my neighbor, there's a soul. It's not just my neighbor, there's someone there that's going to hell. If I don't do something. Don't want 